Well, hello. If you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 6, that's where we're going to be today. Uh, as Joe said, we're, we're trusting the process. We're learning Jesus' way in relationships. Last week, we saw his teaching on how to deal with difficult people and love them well. And then today, we're going to see a similar kind of follow-up, how to have difficult or hard conversations. Just a note from last week, as a uh, as I heard just different ones of you and your response to uh, Jesus' teaching, I just want you to know we're aware of the <clears throat> complexity of situations that people in our church are in when it comes to difficult people and difficult relationships, whether it's a, a parent or a child, a spouse, a coworker, a friend, a, a student, a co, you know, co-student, uh, whatnot, just a wide range of very complex situations relationally. I just want you to know as your pastors and your church that we have great compassion for you with where you are. And I want you to know even more than we have compassion, Jesus himself has compassion for you and what you're going through. And as we looked last week, there were no kind of fixed pat answers, one size fits all for everyone. What I noticed was that each thing that Jesus led uh, his followers in took creativity. It took wisdom. It took character. It took uh, discernment. There was no just one size fits all answer. And I really, last week, just thinking about that, so appreciate that because it feels like it fits the complexity of life. And Jesus understands our world even more than you and I understand our world. And yet in the midst of the complexity, he gives us power to love with his love. He gives us the power of the Holy Spirit to love difficult people well. And that gives us great hope. And that's what we're pursuing as a community of Jesus followers. A person came up to me after the service, said, hey, Zach, this this is great. Here's the problem Uh, with my difficult people. uh, I'm part of the problem. I have a part to play. I'm not entirely innocent in these painful situations that uh, are going on. I've kind of done some things not proud of myself. So I, I just don't know. What do we do with that? If you had that question, man, what a great question. I so related. So much of the difficult people I deal with is is me. You know, just learning how to be a loving person, a husband, a father, a friend, a son, a co-worker, etc. Right? And this person who brought that up and me, we're not alone with like, well, what do we do in those situations? And how do we even talk about that? How do we go there? How do we bring these things up and work these things through? Dr. John Gottman is a researcher in the area of marriage. He studied marriages for 40 years. He doesn't come from a particular faith background or counseling perspective per se. He just observes uh, kind of in a clinical setting what makes for a strong and healthy marriage uh, versus a marriage that ends in uh, brokenness and divorce. And so as I've been married 15 years, I'm always trying to improve as a husband. We're trying to invest and grow our relationship, really thankful for what we have. And it's just a really important relationship. So want to be intentional about growing there. So I like to read this kind of stuff. And as I was reading kind of his research, one of the reports they put out, I found fascinating. It was 
they developed a model that in three minutes, count them, one, two, three, in three minutes, they could observe a newlywed couple and predict with a degree of accuracy whether they would make it or whether they would end up getting divorced in the next six years. Three minutes. Can you believe that? It's like, I wonder, well, like, what, what are they observing in those three minutes? Is it something having to do with how long the couple dated beforehand? Like, did they rush into this thing? Or was there like a long, you know, on-ramp? Was it the families that they were from? If they came from a broken family, is that what they were going to kind of bring into the marriage? Did it have to do with their religious background, political background, where they're from, you know, uh, where they were educated, etc.? It wasn't any of those things. The thing that these researchers had to watch for three minutes was how these newlywed couples handled a difficult conversation. And they could watch for three minutes and tell you with a degree of accuracy where that relationship was going to go. It's kind of, wow. What they noticed was if in that difficult conversation, if a couple had what they called the harsh start, which meant things escalated from zero to 180 miles an hour in intensity like that, that was one of the things, the red flags, that this relationship was going to go south. They went on to identify not just in newlyweds, but in married couples in general, what they called the four horsemen that would destroy a relationship. I want to read them to you, all having to do with how couples handled conflict. The first horseman, they said, if this shows up and it's not dealt with, when you have a difficult conversation with a spouse, it will ruin the relationship is that of criticism. They said if, if one partner, not a complaint of, hey, you did this and it hurt me or I wish we could do this differently. But if one partner went to, uh, instead of complaining, criticizing, you're so prideful. You're so selfish. You're a jerk. You do this. You're so this and that. Speaking of the character, that critical criticism, spirit, Etc. They says one of the horsemen that would destroy a relationship. Second horseman uh, was contempt. So this is another one, right? You don't want any of these, but this contempt was uh, in a difficult conversation. One spouse begins to roll their eyes, begins to mock, begins to mimic, begins to just make facial expressions like, like that kind of thing. They said that's one of the four horsemen. Number three was defensiveness. So when a partner brings something up, if it's responded to by pushing blame onto someone else by denying or by being the victim and just kind of sinking under it, then they said that defensiveness would destroy a relationship. Fourth horseman was stonewalling. So this was in the course of a difficult conversation, one partner disengages, not for 20 seconds or two minutes to catch their breath or whatever, kind of cool down. But this is like a day, several days, a week, a month, they turn the other direction. Just, I'm putting up a stone wall between us. They said that stonewalling would destroy a relationship. This is convicting. Like you read it, you're like, wow. Any of these horsemen show up, they said, undealt with, it will destroy a relationship. This is in our families. These are in relationships that we care about. In the workplace, again, difficult conversations, so hard Right, 80% of employees in one study I read said they'd receive no formal training on how to have a difficult conversation in the workplace. 57%, so almost 6 out of 10 people, said they would do whatever they could to avoid having one of those hard conversations. 
43% of managers admitted to losing their temper and shouting at employees in a difficult conversation. And another 40% said they had panicked and told a lie, lied to get out of a difficult conversation, right? We need help in this area. I had a, a difficult conversation this week. And when I knew it was coming, I was like, oh, this is so like the Lord. We're going to teach on it. So I need to take the pretest and go through this. And as soon as I realized that this conversation was about to come to a head, I, I don't know about you, but I get this like nauseated feeling. So the 24 hours ahead of time, I'm just like, oh, as soon as I found out, I'm like, oh, no. We're going to have this. I knew what time it was going to be, and I was just sick in my stomach, right? Just so wrought up by it. It ended up going really well, but this is just such a, an issue for us that we need help with. And thankfully for us, Jesus comes in, and he wants to teach us how we can do these type of conversations well. And that's the scripture that we're going to read today. So we're going to read from Luke 6, 36 down to Luke 42. And what we're going to do is something a little different. We're going to read it through three times. The first time, I'm going to read it to you. The second time, I want you to read it on your own. So get out your Bible or your phone. or It'll be up here on the screen. Third time through, we're going to read it all together. And the reason being, I want us, I realize you haven't been thinking about this this week. This is maybe the first time you've ever heard this scripture. And what I want for all of us is to be able to spend some time kind of wrapping our minds around what Jesus is laying out for us. So first time through, I'm going to read it. Starting in verse 36, Jesus says, Be merciful even as your Father, speaking of your heavenly Father, is merciful. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will it be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Jesus also told them a parable. Verse 39, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Verse 41, do you see this? why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take that speck out that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Okay, so let's read it through a second time. This time we're going to read it on our own. Uh, in the back, they'll, they'll put up the verses as we go through. Just take a minute to read through this and wrap your brain around it. Okay, let's go through uh, together, and we'll read this together. If you'll just uh, read along with me, starting in verse 36, Jesus speaking. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? 
Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. All right, you guys are good readers. So I want to show you three things that Jesus gives us in this text. Number one, he points us to the aim of hard conversations. He gives us a vision for why we should engage in these and what we're hoping to see happen. Number two, he talks to us about the character that we need in order to do a hard conversation well and how we develop this type of character. And then number three, he gives us some how-tos of hard conversations. Just for the sake of time, we're going to look at number one and number two this morning. And then on the podcast this week, we'll put out a separate podcast that covers number three. So you can listen to that on your drive to wherever you're going for 4th of July. Should make for some interesting car conversation, just a light topic. So let's start with the aim of hard conversations. Look in verse 42. Uh, At the end of this teaching, Jesus gives us what our vision is is to be what we're to hope for from hard conversations. He says, first, take the log out of your own eye. Then you'll see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. So what Jesus is talking about here is at the end of this hard conversation, this difficult conversation, that I will have experienced healing because I will have had a log removed from my eye. And the person that I'm having the conversation with will also have experienced healing because they'll have the speck removed from their eye. There's this healing process that's to be our aim or our vision behind difficult conversations, right? So this is really important to see that our aim is not, I'm going to win at all costs over you. Our vision is different as Jesus' followers. We're to pursue healing. That's the hope of our difficult conversations, not win-lose, not lose-win, but win-win, that we both get better, that we both grow, that we both prosper from the difficult conversation. The term that the Bible uses for this is called peacemaking. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. This is a calling that Jesus has given to his people. Now, peacemaking is not just kind of a superficial, hey, we act like everything's okay, but there's a bunch of elephants in the room that we just don't address. No, this is a deep harmony in a relationship that leads to fruitfulness. It doesn't mean conformity that everybody thinks the same things and and is the same way and looks the same way. No, but there's a depth of relationship that leads to fruitfulness. We turn toward one another rather than away. And Jesus himself is the ultimate peacemaker. Jesus came into the earth because you and I, we had uh, rebelled against God. We had broken peace with God. Mankind had said to God, God, we don't want you to be our God. We want to be our own gods. We don't want you to be our king. We want to be our own king. 
We don't want you to be our creator. We want to create our own way, our own lives, our own hope, our own vision for life. Right? So that broke peace with God. There can only be one God. There can only be one king. There can only be one creator, right? And we say, God, we don't want you to be that in our lives. That's what the Bible calls sin. The result of that was a ruptured relationship with God and a broken relationship between one another. We see it in the first family, Adam and Eve turning against each other. Their kids end up killing each other and so on and so forth until you get to the present day. In fact, I read one study of history In the thousands of years of recorded human history, there's something like only 200 that didn't contain a war. We are good at living in broken relationships with one another. But God loved us so much that he sent Jesus, not just to put us in our place, but to make us right with him, to bring peace, to bring us home, to relationship with God. And to restore our relationships with one another. Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker. And he's leading us as his disciples to engage in that mission or that calling of peacemaking. The challenge is, apart from him, maybe there's one person in the room, but most of us, naturally, we're not peacemakers. We're either peace breakers, like when there's something going on, we're ready to fight. We're, I mean, we got, we're ready. We're ready to go after it. We're ready to win. We're going to take you on. We're going to argue. We're going to persuade. We're going to achieve the victory. Peace breakers. Peace fakers are those that will nod on the outside. Yeah, good. Hey, good to see you. But on the inside, they're so far away and they're so distant. And they're just like, I'm not getting near you. I'd rather fake peace, right, than break peace. And I'm sure not going to try and go through the effort of making peace because that'd be really scary. So I'll just live with elephants in the room. You won't know me. I won't know you, but I will give you that nod and that smile and that, hey, how you doing? Peace breaker or peace faker, what are you? We did this as a family. We're working on kind of with our kids. We have four kids. Discipleship in our family, how to have good relationships. So I asked the, the, the family, hey, who, of our, who in our family is a peace breaker? or a peacemaker. Now we have one child who is the largest personality in our family, uh, and he was quite confident. He knew who he was. Hand up. We don't ever raise our hands at the dinner table. He's got his hand up, right? And he's like, oh, I am a peace breaker, he says with pride. <laughs> Everyone in our family nods because he is a peace breaker, right? He and I, we're the peace breakers in our family. Everyone else was a little bit bipolar. Like they would swing. They said, well, sometimes I'm a peace breaker. Sometimes I'm a peace faker. You go back and forth. What are you? What are you? Jesus is calling us out of being peace breakers or peace fakers. And he's calling us to be peacemakers. He's giving us a new agenda for all my peace breakers. The agenda of our hard conversations, the vision is not that we would win. It's that there would be right relationship, that there would be peace, there would be unity, there would be a built relationship. Peace breakers, we need to hear this. All my peace fakers, there is something more valuable in life than just maintaining the status quo, right? Literally, Jesus is saying if there's a log in someone's eye, man, that log needs to be pulled out. 
And if there's a speck that's hurting someone's eye, I mean, just imagine you had like a, a splinter or some chip of wood in your eye. It's just so painful. That's worth being removed. And so to all our peace fakers, Jesus is calling you out of that false way of peace being your agenda and pursuing real peace. We all have room to grow. So Jesus shapes our vision. And then he goes to an interesting place. He goes to our character. Now me, I would have liked five ways to immediately handle a difficult conversation. Just give me a how-to. Because as a peace breaker, I can now incorporate this into my arsenal to get what I want, which is winning a hard conversation. Right? Last week we talked about uh, that God gave us the law, eye for an eye and tooth for tooth, and it was a gift of mercy meant to create justice and help people flourish. But the human heart, because of our own pride and our own greed and our own stubbornness and all those things, we can twist good things really quickly into weapons to come at one another. And we saw that last week. And we, if Jesus just gave us five kind of principles for peacemaking, right, apart from character, we just twist those things. We co-opt them to our own agenda, whether you're a peace breaker or a peace faker. So Jesus goes not for the tactics first. He goes for the character. He goes for who we are, not just what we do. And I want to show you that. Look in verse 36. Jesus tells us these are the type of people that we are to become. This is the type of character that we need to have in order to do difficult conversations well. He says, be merciful even as your heavenly Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. So we're to cultivate this attitude of mercy, right? And we're to remove this kind of judging nature. We'll get to what that actually means in a moment. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. That's another thing we need to weed up out of our lives. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. We need character that is forgiving, Give, and it will be given to you. So we're to cultivate this generosity of spirit. I made a little chart just to help us all see it. So we're to cultivate mercy. We're to become merciful. We're to become forgiving. We're to become generous as disciples of Jesus. And we're to remove this judgmentalism and condemningness and pride from our lives. So let's go through each one of these because each need clarification. On mercy, when he says, be merciful as your heavenly father is merciful. The origin of that word is the way a mom feels for her newborn child. Christina and I, we have four kids. Our youngest uh, was going through teething uh, these last several weeks. Now, if you're a parent, you know that teething is one of the most difficult times in a baby's life. They've got teeth literally cutting in through their gums, so they are cranky all of the time. They have a very hard time sleeping. They're fitful. They're difficult to deal with, right? And it goes day and night. So about two weeks ago, between Christina and myself, we had so many nights where we were up with our youngest from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. That little window stretch of time is brutal to be up with a child. I'll just be honest. Uh, one, on one of my Instagram deals, on Instagram stories, I'm driving around Richardson, took a little picture. It's 4.30 in the morning, and I've just got our baby in the back in his car seat, hoping that the bumping of the car would just chill him out just a little bit. So here's my thought process with uh, my child. 
I'm like, buddy, please, could you just sleep a little bit? You know what? This is going to ruin my quiet time in the morning. Uh, this is going to ruin my day at work because I'm going to be tired the whole day. This is going to ruin my workout. I'm going to have to miss that because I'm tired. Can't you just, I don't know, just go to sleep, right? That's what I felt. My wife, on the other hand, now mind you, she has a bulging disc in her back, lots of back pain, and she's up just like I am. Her response to our child, oh, you poor baby. You must be in so much pain. I'm so sorry. And she's like researching on the internet, like, you know, remedies for, for teething and going out and buying things and trying to help the child and cuddling him and nurturing him. That's mercy. That's what the word comes from, right? So you see the contrast. So the blow away here, Jesus tells us that the way that God relates to us, that God is full of or he's rich in mercy to you and to me. Wow, that's good news. There's no other religion that puts that idea forward. And Jesus is saying, this is one of the defining attributes of who God is. And that he relates to you and me with mercy in his heart. And so we are to be shaped and reoriented based on the mercy that we've received from God to be merciful with one another for that to be a part of our character. Next, Jesus says, judge not, and you will not be judged. What does that mean? This is maybe the most quoted and most misused verse in the New Testament in our day, right? What does it mean? Because the way it's used is, hey, get off my back. Judge not, lest you be judged, right? Here's the challenge to a literal application of that verse. As soon as I quote it to you, judge not lest she be judged. I am judging your judgmentalism. So I'm doing the very thing that I'm not. I'm passing judgment on your judgment or my perception of your judgment of me, right? Impossible to literally apply this. And in fact, Jesus himself later in the passage is calling us to be judging. How could you remove a log from your own eye or a speck from someone else if you're not making any kind of evaluations, right? So we're to cultivate, not uh, never to judge, we're to cultivate a right judgment. So what's he meaning with this word? He's meaning, get rid of the critical spirit. Get rid of, you've got a fault with everyone, you're offended all the time, everyone's always done you wrong. In, in, back in our family, uh, thinking of our kids, this is a parenting conversation we have with our children maybe a dozen times a week. One child comes to the other, Dad, you know, this doing this. And I'm like, listen, if the only thing your sibling gets from you is you're offended with them, they can do no right in your eyes, they're this and they're that, and you're just always worked up and you're always angry with them, do not be surprised when that's what you receive from them. This is what Dallas Willard called Jesus' school of the way life works. If you have a critical spirit, with everyone else, guess what you are going to receive? Criticism. We reap what we sow. So don't have a critical spirit. He says don't be condemning. Don't walk around like you're Judge Judy and you've got the verdict on everybody and you should just put everyone in their place, right? If we have that, guess what you're going to get back in relationship? That's what you're going to receive. Parenting conversation a dozen times a week. Mom and dad need it too. Grown-ups in this room, we need that as well. Jesus is teaching us the way 
life works. And so we're to remove those things from our lives and we're to cultivate. He says, forgive and you will be forgiven. We're to become forgiving people. Now, because of the complexity of relational dynamics in our church and the different situations that people are going through, I just want to take time here on establishing what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. And so let's look first at what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not about forgetting the past. You say the whole thing, forgive and forget, that's impossible. And it's unwise. There are many times where we need to remember the past in order to learn and to grow. So forgiveness is not saying, oh, I just forgot about all that. That's unrealistic. Secondly, forgiveness is often not quick, but is a part of a grief and healing process. Someone cuts you off, you need to learn to forgive them just in the moment, right? But many of us have been through much more significant injuries, abuses, uh, being taken advantage of, injustices. And it's just putting a superficial band-aid on something. Just say, hey, forgive and move on. Forgiveness, real forgiveness from the heart is part of a grieving process over what has happened. And then now how are you going to respond? So forgiveness is not necessarily just a quick thing to get on with our lives with. Forgiveness is not trust. Do you know you can forgive someone but not trust them? Right? So forgiveness is not saying, hey, our relationship is going to be back exactly how it was before just because I've forgiven you. Trust is earned over time. And trust is broken over time. And you can forgive without reestablishing or reentering into a trusting relationship with someone. Now, what is forgiveness then? Forgiveness is releasing a debt that is owed. So this is saying, I am going to release you from owing me anything for what you've done to me. I'm going to let you go. Forgiveness is letting go of being defined by injustice. Forgiveness is saying there is a higher calling. There are more significant things about me than what my teachers said to me when I was a junior in high school or what this person lied about me or what this person did to me and then said about me. There are higher things about me that I'm going to build my life and my identity around rather than being defined by the injustice that was done to me because I'm made in the image of God and I have a heavenly calling and that's what I'm going to center my life around. Forgiveness is relinquishing using the pain of the past or the event as a weapon to get back at someone. Say, I'm releasing you. I love the story of Nelson Mandela, who put his picture up. In South Africa, their nation for many years was defined by apartheid, which simply means one group is apart from the others, and it was a small uh, ethnic minority that was the supreme group, and everyone else was treated poorly. And Mandela, he and his people had experienced injustice. And so he was looking for a way to change, kind of turn things around, right? And he was accused and convicted of, of violently trying to overthrow the government and sentenced to prison. And he spent 27 years of his life in prison. Many of those years 
in solitary confinement. He was sentenced to spend life in prison for his part. Interestingly enough, in this time in prison of being alone and reflecting on what had been done to him, you would think he would have gotten bitter. You would have think he would have gone, life is unfair. You would have think he would have grown more violent in his ways. But he said, as he had that time alone, he spent time reflecting on the mercy that he needed, the hardness of his own heart, the errors of his own ways. He said, in that long time period, he was able to release the, I'm going to get these people back. And when he came out, he realized that his, the people that had done him wrong, they needed the same forgiveness that he had received. So rather than leading his people in violent retaliation, he led the nation in reconciliation. That's forgiveness. And that's becoming a peacemaker in a situation. So now let's move to the uh, second part related to the character to do this well. How does this develop? Because if I'm honest, I'm like, I'm not particularly merciful. I am judgmental. Uh, I am not very forgiving. I am, you know, condemning. Like, we look at those and we're like, man, Jesus, that's awesome for kind of the rest of the world. But for me, I'm just not those things. Maybe you feel that way too. So how do we get there, Right. How do we grow? And that's where Jesus takes us in the next section in verse 39. It says, Jesus uh, tells them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. So big points to see here. Jesus is saying the whole world is blind and that every blind person is following someone. Right? Practical application. All of us are being discipled by someone. All of us are being led by someone. All of us have a guide in something. Right? You might be being led and discipled and formed by your family. Well, this is the way my family did difficult conversations. We slam the door and go in our rooms and we come back three weeks later and we don't talk about it again. Or we yell at one another for about 10 minutes and then we just move on. Or we do this or we do that. That might be what's discipled you in the way that you have difficult conversations. And that's what's forming you today. You might be discipled or formed by Facebook. Think on Facebook. Someone posts something that you don't like. You can unfriend them. You can unfollow them. There's even an option. This is pretty cool. You can mute them for 30 days. You can say, I don't want this person to show up in my feed for 30 days. Right? Many of us take that kind of attitude into our relationships. You offend me. You hurt me. I just, I just disappear. I, I ghost you. I, I'm out, right? You may not know that. I'm not going to say it to you, but I'm just gone, okay? You might be being discipled by Facebook. Some of us might be being discipled by Fox News or fill in the Democrat version of that where you just get on there and you just yell and you get real angry and you think that's going to win the day, right? And so we get into conflict and just watch out. I'm ready to go rush Limbaugh on somebody and just lay into him. I don't even know if he's on Fox News. I'm not a big uh, Fox News guy. Uh, or CNN or any of the other ones, okay? <laughs> Before you email me, just, just so you know. Okay, who are you being discipled by? Jesus is saying for everyone who feels like they need a relationship hospital, for everyone who feels like they miss those days in class and they need to be taught, for everyone who realizes that they're blind in this area and need help, that he is a teacher that will guide you 
And it says a disciple is not above his teacher. You're going to become like whoever disciples you. And Jesus is saying, you can enter into discipleship with me. You can enter into apprenticeship with me. You can enter into a training process. And in that process, I will make you whole. I will help you develop the character that you need to be a peacemaker. If you'll be trained by Jesus. This is important. Christianity is not just a set of beliefs. It's not just kind of a part of our schedule. No, it is a discipleship, not to this person or that person. It's a discipleship to Jesus where we're being formed by him to be like him. And we're training for that purpose. If you know me, you know I love basketball. I'm going to show you a picture of Steph Curry. He is the greatest shooter in the NBA. Some say in NBA history. He's the best basketball shooter in the world. And I know many of you don't get sports illustrations. I understand. I'm going to make this applicable for everyone. Okay? He's an incredible shooter. He's not that tall. He's not that fast. He's not that strong. He can't jump that high. All the things that we would associate with a good basketball player. But man, this guy can shoot the ball such that his team has won the NBA championship the last two years, largely in part to his great shooting. There's a video floating around on the interwebs of him shooting and making, I believe it's 97 three-pointers, that's the far shot, 97 three-pointers in a row. Amazing. And he says his goal is to, get, to practice this, to train so much, that when he gets in the game, when the lights are on, when the pressure is on, that it's just muscle memory. That he's not even thinking that he's just done this so many times, it's just what comes out of it. So he's training now in the secret when no one is looking so that he'll be ready when game time comes. That's what training is. We need to, as disciples of Jesus, train not when the pressure is on, not when the hard conflict is coming, not, oh, you realize it's about to come, so you're going back and you're reviewing the message notes. Okay, what does Zach say? Do this. Do... It's going to be too late. Right? You're going to get in the pressure, and what's inside of you is going to come out one way or another. So what Jesus is saying is, I'm inviting you to train now under my leadership so you'll develop into the type of character that can handle difficult conversations. LeBron James is said to spend seven figures a year on his physical body to be ready to perform at such a high level. Seven figures a year. That's amazing. Now, you may not have seven figures. I put before you, though, that your calling and this vision to be a peacemaker is worth far more than seven figures. Yet so many of us, we shortchange the process we neglect it. We chase all these other things rather than saying, man, I'm going to give myself this because this matters. We shortchange it. We sell ourselves short. We sell our calling short. We sell the kingdom short. As I close, what if the most significant thing about your life at the end of your life is not your balance sheet? What if it's not kind of what your family did or did not do? What if it's not this relationship or that relationship? What if the most significant thing about your life is not what you did, but who you became? The character that God developed in you that led you and called you to be a peacemaker, to handle difficult conversations and difficult relationships and be one that made for peace 
rather than breaking peace or faking peace, that we could release something new into the community. I want to invite you to stand with that as our closing thought. We're going to close with prayer. If I get our prayer and prophetic team to come forward, we'd love to minister to anyone who's here today that says, man, I need help in this regard for anything. They'll be up here. They love to pray. I believe God to move in power. We've seen that many times. Specifically, though, uh, we sense that there's, a, there's, there's people here that you feel like in life you are like a captain hanging on to a ship that's in a storm. You're, you're overboard, but you're hanging on for dear life. And what Jesus wants you to do is actually very counterintuitive. It's to let go and let him be the captain. And as you release control to him, release leadership to him, that you'll move through the storm. So if that's you today, we want to pray for you. If you're here and you're like, hey, I, I, I need to follow Jesus. I don't even know that I'm a disciple. I don't even know that I'm a Christian. Man, today's the day, right? You can have a teacher that will help you and develop you and grow you and shape you. So you want to come forward and we want to pray for you as well. Anyone else that has need will be available to pray. If you just open your hands, I'll close us in prayer. Jesus, we love you. You are the ultimate peacemaker. Thank you that you're teaching us, God. Thank you that you're training us, God. Thank you that you're healing us, God. That you are giving us a ministry, uh, not of winning and breaking peace or, or faking peace, but you're giving us a ministry of making peace. Lord, that you're making us into people of mercy and compassion and forgiveness and generosity, Lord. We ask that you would continue to do that in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed. As a reminder, the how-tos are going to be on the podcast this week. And if you need prayer, come forward.